Welcome back to Love You Sis Podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Alexis. Um, okay, so today we have a special guest, my friend Nissa. Say hi. Hi. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, therapy. So we invited Nissa because she actually has some experience. Why don't you go ahead and tell us, uh, I guess, what you're going to school for and what exactly you do right now well thank you um currently i am a student i'm getting my master's of science in clinical mental health counseling um, i've been in this program for a year and a half now and just recently have started seeing my own clients um, i see four clients once a week um, it takes about six hours and I see clients ranging from children to adults. Nice. Um, so I know I don't go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember you telling me you actually see a therapist yourself. Um, do you find it uh, weird having being a therapist and also having a therapist? <laughs> you know, it's something that... I started about six months into my program and I'd been to therapy a few times before um, and I was actually a pretty bad client. I, um, I was, How so? no, I was um, a no-show client, so I would just <laughs> ghost my therapist. <laughs> um, wow. And yeah, right. Um, but I started seeing my therapist about a year ago and it's actually really cool. Um, she can relate to me and I can relate to her a little bit. It's good for me to talk with her about what's happening in my schooling because she's someone who's had to do the same thing. Um, and they actually, you know, all of my professors say that if you are a therapist, you need your own therapist, period. Right. Oh, I actually didn't know that. What would you say are the biggest uh, misconceptions of therapy? I think that's a big one. Like you said, um, therapists need therapy, right? There is such thing as vicarious trauma and any human can experience this. But therapists, um, first responders, helping professionals really tend to get exposed to a lot of other people's trauma. So that's a place where we can process our trauma with someone, um, you know, kind of help us recharge before we go back for another day of work. I think that another big misconception, we spoke about this a little bit, is that yes. therapists do not give advice, uh, or at least they're not supposed to, right? That one actually threw me for a loop. I was, I mean, like, what's the point then? <laughs> Right? I know. I thought the same thing when they're telling me this in school. I'm thinking, like, then what am I doing? <laughs> um, at least for the type of therapy that we are the most trained in in my program, which is a person-centered therapy, we believe that clients can come to their own conclusions, that they are capable, that they are competent, they know what's best for them. Why do I know what's best for someone else? I'm not in their shoes. I don't have to suffer the consequences of whatever decisions that they choose to make. So why should I be trying to lead them in the way I think they should live? Um, oh, I mean, what, what about like 
I mean, obvious answers, regardless mm-hmm. of whether or not you think they should live a certain way, like a, mm-hmm. an obvious, like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> That's <Sure>. great. <laughs> well, I think it's, um, you know, something that I was reading this week um, from one of my textbooks is it's okay to not agree with your clients. You don't have to agree with them and you don't have to support them and say, oh, I think that's a wonderful idea, but Mm -hmm. maybe trying to get to the heart of why they're choosing to do that and helping them to see that maybe there's a better way I could go about this. Have you felt uh, with your clients, Mm -hmm. I don't know, extreme like emotion? Like, is it, is it, have you yes. ever found yourself where it's been hard to keep your human, I don't want to say keep oh your human gosh. side out of it, but yes. your emotions out of it for sure. On on hundred percent. And how are, do you navigate that? Oh, uh, there are times whenever my clients tell me something and I so badly want to just say, do it this way. You should do this. Mm-hmm. Um, And I really have to be aware of that. I really have to pay attention to, you know, why do I want them to do this? I keep it to myself. And the great thing is, is that once I'm done with my sessions, I go back to a room with my supervisor in it. My supervisor is um, an individual professor that has decades more experience than I do. And he's seen it all. So I, I definitely like to run those things by him and say, oh my gosh, this happened in my session. I so badly wanted to do this. Having him there to validate that and say, yeah, that's hard. Um, there are other moments where I feel extreme happiness too. Um, a client gave me a drawing they did of me this week. And oh, I, I just wanted to cry. I was so happy that I could be there with them. So happy that I could at least give them an outlet like artwork. Yeah. So you, mm-hmm. you do really experience a lot of their emotions with them. Wow. That is so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm learning new stuff. That actually <laughs> must be incredibly taxing on your, just yes. like constantly having to bite your tongue and and be like, extremely aware of what mm-hmm. comes out of your mouth next and, and keeping your emotions in check mm-hmm. for, you know, sometimes an hour long sessions, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. It's oh like, my gosh. By the time I'm done and all my sessions are 50 minutes and they're all back to back. So that's four <sighs> straight hours. Oh wow. By oh the time gosh. I'm in the second to last, I feel myself yawning I can hardly keep my eyes open. Like I don't realize how much I'm giving of myself until I'm almost done. And then yeah. we have to do all of our case notes afterwards. Oh. And so that's another hour, just computer work before we can go home and rest and eat. Wow. That's so much on you. And, and, but between each session, though, you have you get that um, ten minutes, yes, ten minutes to talk with that professor, right? Mm-hmm. That's right, or to use the bathroom, to eat, um, you know, whatever you need to do in that ten minutes. But right. you almost never get the full ten minutes because, um, say, you have a child client, they're mm-hmm. in a room with toys, 
you have to clean up all the toys before the next client uses that room in 10 minutes. Oh, I see. So wow. anything you have to clean up, anything that you have to prepare for your next client cuts into your free time. I see. Do you mm -hmm. think this is something that you you feel like you can do over decades? Like, is this something that you feel truly passionate about? It's crossed my mind a lot because for clients is really only like working part time, just like a normal job. Therapists have at least eight clients a day. Oh, my gosh. Most do. Um, if you're looking at a clinical setting, whereas a school counselor, um, I'm not sure if you all ever utilize the school counselors, but they could see any number of clients a day. Anyone who walks into their classroom. Uh, well, I mean, we went to the same school. Well, I wouldn't say our counselors were top notch. You know? <laughs> That's a really tough spot. You know, I've thought about that a lot of our counselors probably saw people for however long they could miss class five to 10 minutes, maybe 15 telling them about extreme situations, right? Um, poverty, oh, yeah. teen pregnancy, um, loss. Those are huge things for a young person to go through. And that counselor isn't guaranteed to see them again. So I can't imagine that. That is a huge um, I'll actually put this up there. When I was um, my sophomore, like early sophomore year of high school, um, the mm -hmm. counselor actually pushed or pulled me and my brother. He was in junior high at the time into like the counselor's office and mm -hmm. we actually I guess because someone called a little deeper called CPS or whatever like um my home situation or whatever um mm -hmm. and they actually helped get like CPS to the house and get me and my brother out of the house and that was the only time I've ever seen the school counselor and like they yeah. had a social worker and everything and like they were asking me all these questions first they talked to my brother and my brother, like, was straight up honest. And then I was like, eh, you know, because I was scared of change, you know, scared what's going to happen. But they're yeah. like, well, you know, your brother said this. And I was like, yeah, you know. And then they basically pushed everything for us. So, yeah, that was the last time I've seen the school counselor. But, I mean, they really helped with the process. I just never have heard of school counselors actually helping people. I've only ever heard the <laughs> stories of it. And I, but Nissa, you brought up a really good point of they don't. It's not like they're scheduled visits. No. It's, it's how much or how much time. I never really yeah. thought of it like that. That's really interesting. I never thought of it like that either. And I think Victoria brought up a great point too, is that we are mandated reporters. Um, so I've had to take a mandated reporter training, um, which included noticing types of bruises on children, noticing um, types of, comments that children will say in classrooms to be able to see oh that's signs of abuse or neglect that's something that I have to report on that must oh I don't I can't imagine seeing children like that like that would be the absolute most taxing job that there yeah. is is just knowing there's very limited things that you can do that's right and there's so many of them Oh, gosh. Right. It's, I am not certain that I truly want to work with children um, because of that reason. And just personally, um, I'm a little bit more, I'm better with my words than I am with my play. <laughs> and it, it is that struggle, right? Of 
you can get help. And like Victoria said, some people are really helped by that. Um, yeah. But you are also throwing them into change. You're throwing them into uncertainty. They might move school districts and you never see them again. You don't know what becomes of them. And you aren't allowed to look into it further. Oh, no. I would be breaking so many rules. <laughs> I'm like, this is what you should do. That's number one. Mm-hmm. And also, here's my number. <laughs> if you that if is any problems, exactly if there's any problems, call me. Out. The largest rule, the most common rule that is broken. And we have a code of ethics. And mm-hmm. we actually have to have, we have to pay for liability insurance in case anything starts to toe the line of that code that we're oh. protected. Um, so that's something that even I as a student have to pay for, annual insurance. Oh, wow. And this code is several pages long, and it explains all of the different things that you cannot do and the most commonly broken code is inappropriate relationships between the client and the counselor Mm. I'm sure that's I mean I'm sure that's actually fairly easy to do because once you kind of know everybody it's it's almost like and you've been seeing them for a while I'm sure that the lines blur of who they that of this is not a client anymore like I know this person I relate to this person Right. This is like a friend to me now. I yes. bet that is a huge struggle. Right. Example is um, also clients. When you've told someone your deepest secrets, when they have been there and shown you this relationship that's stable, someone who cares, someone who wants to be there with you. A lot of people don't have someone like that. And so when they start to be in this relationship with the counselor, they think and feel this person cares for me. I care yeah. about them. You know, and so a lot of it is um, confused clients um, are confusing that professional relationship um, with a personal relationship. And so feelings of either love, romantic love, platonic love, it's easy for them for that to come up for them. And it's understandable. What would you say are, for new clients, uh, mm-hmm. any advice for maybe, maybe not with the ideal client, but like to help people who are thinking about starting or, mm-hmm. you know, how, how <laughs> what do they say? <laughs> it's hard to start, right? Yes, it is. It was, I was a little nervous when I first started counseling and I'd been taking the classes for six months at that point. Yeah. I remember... Um, someone very dear to me was trying to encourage me to go and they said Nissa you're going to be a counselor so it's okay for everyone else to go but not you <laughs> and I ended up That's going fair point. but you know something that I think is important is for you to have an idea of what you want to get out of it you are going to set your own goals your therapist is not going to make them for you um, yeah It's up to you to decide what you want to do with your counseling and to understand that it might get worse before it gets better. You're going to have to dig up those ugly and scary things that you don't want to think about in order to get better. Right. And just to segue a little, um, V, I know that you had mentioned that you had started therapy. Do you feel comfortable 
um, speaking about that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, How did your first session go? <laughs> well, I'm actually, I did my second session last week. I have one with her next Friday. Um, it, I knew I needed to see a therapist, but in my mind, at least, because um, no one in my family, like, they have their issues, but they've never went and seen a therapist. But I just thought, like, what is going to see someone? Like, how is that going to help me when I was like, oh, I just talked to my friends, my family, whatever. Um, and I just, like, still do my own, <laughs> made my own decisions and still do whatever. But um, I was just having um, really bad, I've always had really bad anxiety and maybe some slight depression from, you know, and I, some of my things that happened when I was, you know, childhood, whatever, it's still like, I don't know how I act and how I am and irritable and how I react to certain situations and stuff like that. Um, when I went to see my doctor, she, um, put me on medication for anxiety and stuff like that. And she's like, um, so I was telling her a little bit about my, <laughs> my trauma and she's like you need to see a therapist for sure <laughs> <laughs> um, can I can I ask what the turning point like what was the moment where you're like okay I, I actually seriously need help um so I I've always had like you know anxiety you know panic attacks or whatever and I felt like I could you know calm myself down I'd never wanted to be like on any like medication or you know I felt like I could just help myself and um there was a time like a couple weeks ago where I was just I've never felt this way where I was just like super sad. I don't know what was wrong. I just felt like this anxiety was just coming over me. Like I just couldn't, I didn't want to do anything. And I was always sad and um, I was just crying a lot more than I usually do. Um, <laughs> That's not and, funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it is. Cause I mean, I cry at like old people walking like in holding hands. So um i cry at hallmark movies yeah i i I start realizing i'm like i'm crying like a lot and um you know then it was starting to get like the symptoms of anxiety like every you know heart racing and just Mm -hmm. dizziness and stuff like that and i was like i really have to deal with it and like just that like having the anxiety and having the thoughts in your head that you can't do something like because that's what you that's all you were taught when you were younger is like you're not this and you can't do this and you know, even, um, like to be deep, like my, I told Alexis, my relationship with food is when, when my mom died and we, my stepdad, he really, he wasn't putting food in the fridge and moving house to house to house after that. Cause like the abuse and it not being a comfortable situation, I never mm-hmm. knew when it was going to be, when I was actually going to actually have a meal or a bed and stuff like that. So now mm-hmm. as an adult, I still carry like stuff like that onto me when I shouldn't you know what I mean I'm an adult we you know we aren't starving anymore like I but I think that in my head like what happens if I wake up and I lose everything and stuff like that because that's how it was when I was a kid and um I just don't want to think like that anymore like I just want to have a healthier mindset and I just knew like I was waking up every day and I was just everything stopping me from actually doing what I need to do is because like, I'm always having thoughts about myself and doubting myself and it must have leave that trauma exhausting behind. on your body too to be in that constant state of, of, you know, fear and paranoia without you even like knowing it's all subconscious. It, yeah, it's definitely just, you know, also seeing my mom pass at 
you know, only 36 and then having cancer, it's, I'm scared of death because of that, because I look at it being 24, my, my mom died young, 15, I was like, oh, you know, she's a little bit older or whatever, but Mm -hmm. now I'm like, dude, she died, like, young as fuck, for real, and I'm like, that scares me, and then, um, you know, having cancer, I was like, oh, I'm gonna die, or whatever, so, like, just having that fear of death, like, anything that involves that, like, it seriously consumes me where I get scared and I overthink it a lot. And yeah, I don't want to do anything if I'm, <laughs> if there's a chance I'm going to die. So, I mean, I was telling my doctor this and, you know, I don't think she needed to hear all of it, but it's <laughs> <That's> a lot. <laughs> um, um, because I, I remember I talked to you, I was like, I have a doctor's appointment. Um, you're like, you need to be honest with her. Or she's not yeah. going to do anything. Yeah. And I, and I told her everything and, uh, she gave me um, anxiety medicine and stuff like that and she's like you need to see a therapist because she just like looked at me because she handed me a box of tissues and I just started crying in the doctor's office because um, I kind of got in deep you know with stuff and she recommended me to a, a therapist and she called me a couple days later and we started talking I only had 30 minute sessions over the phone with her or a video mm-hmm. call and then last mm-hmm. week I had a um appointment and um we didn't like get into the hard stuff yet she gave me like actually like a checklist it's called the laundry list she calls it um it's called the 14 traits of an adult child because she wanted to talk about my mom's alcoholism and um stuff like that how that affected me and we went through this list and she's like does this relate to you and um I remember Alexis I read it all to you (laughs) we were like yeah "Yeah, almost all of it I know. Um, I was like, I have like 10 of those. <laughs> There's only like 14. Like, yeah, like, yeah, we have almost all of it. And she actually sent me the list because she's like, look back on it. And she's like, think about it and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, God, because she was reading it off. I was like, that's all me. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Uh, so. But to uh, backtrack a little bit, I'm sorry for okay. interrupting. But like, when I'm glad that I freaking told you to tell the truth to the doctor because so many people go into the doctor's office and they don't really say the truth and so they don't really get the help they need because they're embarrassed yeah and that sucks but okay let's go over your session i'm sorry your sessions again so what happened after the laundry list um, we just went over that and the, I don't know what we're going to talk. I haven't really went in deep with like my trauma or anything like that. Like she gave me a list. Um, it was like a depression and anxiety. She was reading that off and um, she gave me like a score and she doesn't think like um, she scored me low on the depression scale just by the question she asked me. But like she scored me pretty high like on the anxiety scale. Um, yeah. So... I don't know what we're going to really talk about next week, but she gave me like ways to like calm myself down. She sent me the list to look back over um, and stuff like that. I like her so far. I mean, I'm sure she's heard worse once I tell her mom, but it's still pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you like her. I feel like that's really important. Yeah. Be able to, you feel like you can, do you feel like you, Oh, uh, we'll be I, able to I, open I just t- I'll just spill the whole beans through her like I did my doctor. <laughs> it's no problem. Good, good. I, I'm like, uh, my stepdad was a crackhead and we starved and uh, <laughs> we got the shit beat out of us. 
That's so, the spirit. Yep, just honest. I feel like this is really going to help. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Well, I guess let's go into why I don't do therapy. Um, um, no one asked. Just <laughs> 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 that's exactly why thank you <laughs> yeah i mean really about you yeah let's do it fuck it all right why it is about a, me why don't you get a therapy i don't know <laughs> that's it that's the end of the podcast <laughs> okay no that that's really is that that's it i don't know Maybe I maybe I will after hearing you know you today's me, session you here. Me, you tell me all these things like, oh, you need to go. You have this, but you're you won't go. You won't. Listen, uh, I'm not sitting me. here having anxiety attacks. Also, uh, I, okay, I it's am. not just anxiety. It's also <laughs> rooting into my childhood trauma, which um you have a little bit of. Okay, so that's fair. That's fair. That's um, fair. Maybe maybe the things you carry on to your adulthood, you know, that you don't realize. So maybe you should see a therapist. Yeah. I think um, I should, yeah. I think I'm sure that there's point. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point, Alexis, is like why should you go? Or, you know, what holds people back from going? Um, because like you said, I think the misconceptions that we talked about earlier, it's like are we even given an, a good idea of what therapy even is? Yeah, that's true. Like, I didn't know that they weren't going to sit there and give advice. I think it's also daunting to to know that I have to come to my own conclusions. That yeah. I have to, like, dig and, and find shit out for myself. I, and I also don't think I'm ready to dig up the past. Not like how we do here. Here is fine. <laughs> It can be really damaging, right? Sometimes people, there are different kinds of therapy. Some of them focus entirely on the past. Some of them, the therapist doesn't want you to talk about the past really at all. Um, Hmm. And some of the times when people get so stuck in the past, it can actually re-traumatize you. It can be harmful. Um, And so I totally understand why you feel hesitant to do that. I guess it's also scary about what what's gonna come out about me that I didn't know about me that I kind of know about me but I don't want other people to know about me you know (laughs) I think you were gonna say something V were you um I think maybe some people I feel like maybe I could speak for myself but maybe a lot of people don't go to therapy because they they don't see as like an immediate fix or whatever maybe that's why people Mm -hmm. just always want maybe medication and that'll help them not think about things or mm-hmm. you know forget like whatever they don't want to go and sit and talk to somebody because they think what's that going to do or it's not going to fix it immediately they don't have like the patience for it to get better and stuff yeah that actually resonates with me i i definitely am more of like a quick fix type of gal sure i mean i've been the same way um that you know victoria just pointed out is there was a long time where I was medicated and I wasn't getting therapy, which I thought was pretty normal um, until I was reading my textbooks. And there is a textbook that I have that just says like pretty much any case, any mental illness or disorder, how different ways you can treat it. And each time they talk about prescribing medications or recommending medications, they always say in conjunction with therapy. 
I did not know that. I thought that you could do one or the other, or if you really wanted to, you could do both. But this textbook was saying that it was necessary to do both if you are going to be prescribed medication. It also seems, you know, more and more we're normalizing therapy where it necessarily wasn't before. And I Mm -hmm. guess it's just like a hard thing for me to really, I mean, I understand the the importance it makes mm-hmm. sense. I was also raised to just bottle up everything and, you know, mm-hmm. move on. That's how, that's what we do. That's what everyone does. So I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. It's a lot to think about. And, but, oh, you know what I just remembered is we were talking about the benefits of, of each other's therapy. So many times I've come to both of you to bitch about my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we're great therapists. <laughs> Well, um. I think. <laughs> okay, so I'm not a great therapist, but I think I am. Okay. I think you're a great therapist. Yeah. Friend. I mean, when we were talking about that a little bit earlier, <laughs> we'll cut out the silence. <laughs> you know, when we were talking about that earlier. I really think there's validity in your friends can give you things that your therapist can't and your therapist can give you things that your friend can't. Your friends Which can Which now you we advice. know is advice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Your friends can say, don't do that. You're being a dumb bitch. Your right. therapist absolutely cannot say that to you. <laughs> um, yeah. I wouldn't tell I'd- if my therapist said that though. I wouldn't either. My therapist would say that to me. Um, I'd actually respect them more. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Um, But you can't call your therapist just because you've had a bad day. And your therapist only knows that little bit that you're able to tell them. Like Victoria said, it takes a little while to get to the deepest, darkest parts with someone new. Your friends were probably there with you through some of it. Mm Mm-hmm. and they understand it in the context of your life. Your therapist only understands what you tell them in the context of those therapy sessions. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Have you ever felt like a client was lying to you? And what do you do if you suspect? So there's a couple different things. I would first say that depends upon what kind of a relationship you have established. If your client's lying early on, Um, then, you know, maybe you put that in your back pockets and you wait for another time later on to kind of see if there's some incongruency. So, oh, you know, Alexis, you were laughing while you're downplaying your trauma earlier. I'm just wondering if there's more to that. You know, maybe that's something to put in your back pockets. If they're avoiding something, if they're lying about something like, no, I don't have any trauma. (laughs) Ha ha. If you have a deeper connection with them, if you've been seeing them for longer, then you can use a tool that we call immediacy and call them out. Obviously Mm -hmm. in a professional kind way, but you can point out, you know, is that the truth? You can use silence as a therapeutic tool and just really kind of look at them like, is that what you wanna say right now? 
I think that goes with different theories, right? Different types right. of therapy would have different approaches to that. I am not certain if any of my clients have lied to me. Um, most of them have already gone to therapy before in the same clinic. So they kind of know the routine. They're kind of there um, out of will. Mm-hmm. But there are times whenever even I'm speaking with my therapist and I say something and I'm like, oh, is that the whole truth? Do I really believe what I just said? And sometimes she'll probe me if she if she picks up on that and then I'll realize. Because admitting something to someone else also means you're having to admit it to yourself. And that's a tough pill to swallow. Is there anything that you can that you feel comfortable with sharing that you have learned about yourself because of therapy and because of teaching yes or Um, I don't want to say teaching maybe being a therapist sorry absolutely I learned that I have a desperate want to fix I want to fix others problems for them I want to fix my problems immediately those are two things that you just can't do in the healing process um And so that's something that I have to be aware of, right? That I have to talk with my supervisor about. When my sessions are over, I've had this insecurity of, am I really helping them? Is talking with them for 50 minutes enough? Um, Right. Interesting. I hate that. I want to fix. I want to help them so badly. Um, And all I can do is give them that space for 50 minutes. And they kind of lead the way. So it's Mm -hmm. however much effort they're putting in. With myself for therapy, I've had some real big epiphanies about things that happened to me in my past that I realized that I perceived in a totally different way. Um, Then my therapist, um, she uses DBT, which is a type of therapy that's very similar to CBT. But it's a very logical type of therapy. And one of the tools that we use is fact checking. So if I say, uh, I kind of think that Victoria and Alexis are mad at me. Then she says, okay, let's check the facts. Have you done anything that would make them angry with you? Well, Uh I don't think so. Okay, then you have two options. You can trust that or you can go ask them and get the facts straight from them. It really helps to take away that, um, I'm not sure if either of you have experienced this, but Victoria talking about your anxiety really resonated with me. Having that larger existential fear of death and other things, that also inhibits me. And so when I start to get into that, um, for example, when I drive, I had a really bad car accident when I was first learning how to drive. That fear still wells up inside of me whenever I first sit in my car. And I have to think to myself, Let's fact check. Mm -hmm. I've never gotten in another accident since then. I've never wrecked my car. Just that once. That was, you know, seven years ago. And I have to remind myself that. Wow. Interesting. I like that. I like that there's a different... I like that she's able to kind of see your need for logic instead of like a different type of therapy, kind of identified that and used that for you. Then instead of, I don't actually know what the other one is. You said, you said CDT. 
CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. It is one of the more common types of modern therapy. Um, Some people have paraphrased it jokingly, like you're basically gaslighting yourself into thinking differently. (laughs) Oh, Um, I've heard of that before. Yeah, that that phrase mm -hmm. of gaslighting. Yes. (laughs) And so DBT is dialectical cognitive therapy, which essentially is very similar. They use a lot of the same tools. But in DBT, um, you know, they really believe that two things can be true at one time. It's about the two sides of things. So, Mm -hmm. for example, having that existential fear um, that Victoria and I share, you can be terrified of your life being so short, but at the same time, you can enjoy life so much, um, you know, yeah. or like that kind of a thing. Like, yes, I am terrified to be driving because I know I could die during it, but I'm also enjoying driving right now, listening to my favorite song. Um, it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. Nice. Uh, Did you have any other questions for uh, Nissa while we have her? Um, not yet. I've been trying to think of questions on the spot, and actually, it seemed to come fair, like fairly effortlessly. The more that you talked about, I was like, "Oh wait, what about this? What about this?" Interesting. <laughs> so, if this, if you find out that this isn't for you Mm -hmm. then what do you even know well I I feel like um, so for context I got my bachelor of arts in religious studies which is not as normal of a pipeline to psychology but is taken a fair amount that I didn't realize that but found out so, <laughs> okay. um, you know, I do work with religious institutions right now. That's not my dream job. Um, I have my own issues okay. with organized religion, but I have this experience now um, of working with religious institutions and I have a lot of connections to nonprofits. So I kind of have that as a backup of, if I wanted to do work with nonprofits, including religious institutions, I think there are a lot of institutions that tread a very progressive ground. And the institutions I currently work in are very progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, they are open and affirming churches, um, essentially meaning that everyone of all identities are welcome. And I believe that they uphold that very well. So, you know, working in wow, something so progressive... Great. Right, because a lot of people have never experienced that. Um, it isn't as much about working in the church that I enjoy as it is I love being with the people. Um, so I'll go do home visits with people who can't get out of their homes. Um, I get to go support children and youth at things that they enjoy doing, um, extracurriculars. So I've attended choir concerts, mm-hmm. debate tournaments, tennis matches. Um, So really any job where I can be with people and support them and have those healthy professional relationships, Mm -hmm. I have the experience and I have the passion for. Wow. I really like that. Yeah. You know, I did have a question for you. I know 
Uh, I, it just popped up. I, I remember you actually have given sermons yourself. Is yes, that correct? I have. Right. How does that feel preaching something that maybe you don't necessarily wholeheartedly believe in or have you been put in that position? So I, (laughs) it's hard to say, right? I am a little bit um, picky with scripture. I definitely pick and choose um, because you're right. I don't wholeheartedly believe in things. Whenever you've been taught to read the Bible from a historical and cultural perspective, you become its largest critic. Um, And that is one of the many reasons why I have difficulties with organized religion and with the church itself. So when I preach, I usually do something most pastors, um, at least in the Presbyterian faith, that's the only church I preached in. Typically, they have a calendar that the big church plans three years ahead. So they know what scripture is coming up this Sunday, the following Sunday, etc., for the next three years. So they just see that scripture and they make a sermon based on it. Because that is I so preach interesting. I know, right? I didn't know they planned like that. That I is didn't hardcore. Know <laughs> I didn't know either. Um, but because I preach so sparingly, I'm allowed to just pick whatever scripture I want. And so what I'll do is I'll determine what I want to talk about and I will find a way to get scripture to support it at least enough to show um Like, yes, this could be related to church. Um, And I really like to toe the line with that. Because the largest difficulty you face at the pulpit is, am I going to say what they want to hear? Or am I going to say what they need to hear? What is a pulpit? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, you're fine. You're fine. This is church jargon I've picked up on the job, right? The pulpit is like um, what the pastor preaches in front of. So, oh, um, so like, like an when, audience. Exactly. It, um, it's the like the podium. Whenever you go okay. up and you stand at a podium, the pulpit is the pastor's podium. Okay, okay. Wow. And, you know, I incorporate psychology in my sermons. I use it as a therapy session, usually for myself a little bit. Um. You know, the most moving sermon I did was shortly after um, my boyfriend Austin died by suicide. I gave a sermon about it. And I actually listened to it. It was really beautiful. Yeah, I'm so glad. It was it was was so moving. Actually, give the plug because I I encourage you guys to listen. It was it was really, really beautiful. Yes, it is. Um. It's on Trinity Presbyterian Church and Springfield, Missouri's website. Um, and it whew, it was a tough one to give, right? It was tough to write. And suicide really isn't something that we talk about in the church. But it's so oh, necessary. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, at the end, a woman came up to me and embraced me and whispered to me that her son had died by suicide 20 years ago. And she didn't say anything else about it. But I could tell it really touched her to hear about that during church. Well, because I'm pretty sure, what is it? If you die by suicide, you don't get into heaven. Is that correct? Yes. For religions that 
we call them biblically inerrant, which basically means they take the Bible literally. That's something that we don't believe in the Presbyterian Church, but that a lot of other churches do believe in. Um, and so, yeah, it's that's a tough one to talk about. Well, I remember um, in your sermon that you you challenged that and you said, despite this, don't worry I about did. him. He's good. You know, well, with more, much more beautiful <laughs> words. But <laughs> yes, because in that point and I'm getting a little bit into, you know, therapy session for myself, but some, for some context, I felt that I could give that sermon um, the morning after Austin had died. I had to call my pastor to let him know I couldn't come to work, obviously. Right. And he said, you know, I was angry. I was really pissed off. Like, I've given my life to the church, and this shit still is able to happen. How can that be? Right. And, um, you know, my pastor said, God's heart broke first. And so in my sermon, I said that, God loves Austin present tense because that's what we believe. We believe in the Presbyterian church that God loves everyone and that if nothing can keep us from God's love, then why does death keep someone from God's love? It doesn't. But I did use some psychology in that sermon. And so I guess the short answer to your question is I do my best to preach about things that I do believe in. But I think that for what you ask is why I don't think I could be a full-time pastor. Right. Especially with the, you, you have three years. Right. I've already (laughs) pre-planned subjects here. And I also want to clarify, I I don't necessarily believe in God and Mm -hmm. we still have this extremely supportive, beautiful friendship. And I'm really thankful for that because we believe in, you know, different things and, I'm not even a hundred percent sure exactly what I believe in, but I'm not didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful. Right. Well, I I can't think of anything else. I I think we covered all of our, our bases again, please go listen to her sermon. Uh, You do have to fast forward. How, how far in the middle we could say it, or if this is the end, we could just say it again um, where they can find that. Or we could oh, put yeah. it like, or we could put it like in our caption when we post it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Absolutely. I think it was like forty minutes in, but that was the 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 tr- Trinity in Springfield. Trinity. Church. Yes, and I can send you the um the link. Yeah, and yeah. We'll, uh, and a timestamp, and we'll we'll link it in the description. Yeah, <clears throat> worth oh, worth the watch you. for sure. And thank you so much. Uh, for yes. sharing your knowledge. I, I felt like I actually <laughs> learned a lot here. <laughs> I'm so glad I could. I'm so glad you ladies asked me to be on. Oh, yes, of course. Um, v, any 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 comments? No comments. I listened right. the whole time, though. And thanks for sharing your story. <laughs> I did. I listened. I, I did. I'm so I'm not happy tra- I'm not for you. Thank you. I, I really am. I think... Um, you're doing the most important thing, whether you go to therapy or not. Um, you're choosing to advocate for yourself. And that's yeah. something that everyone should do, no matter how they choose to do that. Right. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, I think we'll go ahead and end it here. Um, okay. Love you, sis. Love you, sis. Love you. <laughs>